One, two, three, podcast with me. Thank you for being here <laughs> and welcome to another episode of the Choose Strong podcast. I am your host, Sally McRae, and the other host of this show is... I would like to be called guest. <laughs> I knew it. But my name's Eddie. Eddie, we are the hosts of this podcast. You are not going anywhere. I don't know how many times Eddie has told me after a podcast, okay, I'm good. I'm done. Like that, that's enough. And I just, I think that you are already starting to amass this big falling. I mean, when we were in Leadville, people, people were coming up to you and talking about the podcast. They weren't coming up to me. I'm just saying, just saying, we got some Eddie fans out there you and I'm on, a fan. You were on the top of a mountain climbing. <laughs> I was sitting in a chair, so I was a little easier to, to find. <laughs> I heard that Courtney Dewalter went running up to you to hug you. She did, yeah. She actually she asked if she could hug me. She says, "I asked Sally if I said, <laughs> hey, if I see Eddie, can I go up and give him a hug?'" I know Courtney and I were talking before, and she's like, "I'm totally gonna give him a bear hug." I'm like, "Yes, go and do it." <laughs> I'm so glad that she did. Well done, Court. Uh, and Maggie came up to you too. Yes, talked to Maggie for a bit. Yeah, they were both very happy. Yeah, to cool. Be able cool people. To rub elbows with you, which is so fun about these aid stations, right? Like yep. you're just hanging out all day with people, runners, spectators, family, friends, and it's so much fun. But before we dive into more of everything Leadville, I just first want to say thank you so much for choosing to download and listen to this podcast. Typically, when we start recording. I always like to envision like our listeners, like some of you are out on a walk right now. Some of you are running. Some of you are just your morning commute or after work commute. But wherever you are, we are so glad that you are here and we are loving the community that is being built around this podcast. And yes, I actually yeah. want to jump in real quick because oh. I wanted, I thought it'd be cool to share a couple of the reviews that have been posted mm. on Apple. Oh my God. We have been getting some very kind. Yes. Very yeah. Very kind reviews. First of all, I want to thank you all for those of you that have written a review. Um, very nice of you that we, Sally and I read them all and take them to heart. So it's been cool to, to kind of read through those and I thought it'd be cool to share a couple. So I'm going to well, share three of them. Yes. And the first one is uh, from Katie. It says, I could listen to Sally talk all day because Choose Strong is the perfect balance of informative, lighthearted. Sally has an authentic personality that shows in her storytelling. I'm not an ultra runner, but the episodes are still relevant and captivating. So thank you, Katie. That was Thank you, Katie. Cool. And did we... Did you take note to, I could listen to Sally all day? I did not. You? I, I was wondering <laughs> if you, you agree with that. If you, I was wondering if you wrote this, but then it said, I'm not an ultra runner. So I figured, oh, that's not you. <laughs> Sweetie, after being with me since you were 18 years old, I mean, no truer words have been spoken than, I mean, you could agree with that wholeheartedly. I could listen right? to Sally talk all day. Uh, <laughs> Let's get back to that. All right. The next one is from Jamie. She said, this is one of the most inspirational and informative podcasts. Keep them coming, Sally. Very, very sweet. Thank, Thank you, you Jamie. Jamie. And the last one is by Liz. Liz said, this podcast isn't just for runners. Sally is incredibly insightful about running, life, being a mom, and being your best self. She shares the good and the bad of running and life while inspiring listeners to see the beauty in it all. 
The only thing I want from this podcast is more. If you are looking for an inspiring podcast with humor and a community within the social media groups, this is the podcast for you, and you may just be inspired to run an ultra marathon. Thank you, Sally, for such a great podcast and community. I love it. She even called me funny. I think that humor part, I think she was actually (laughs) referring to me. Trying to see in parentheses there's my name. Is there like a reply button when people leave a review? Mm. I'll have to reach out (laughs) to Liz and clarify. No, but for real, this totally encourages us because I know before we even started the podcast, you and I were really nervous about it because one, we've never done it before and we're still learning so much about the production side, sound, all of that. So getting so many reviews is it's been very encouraging. So thank you for taking the time to write and to send those to us. Like Eddie said, we read them all. We're encouraged by them. And and we do hope to continue putting out podcasts more frequently. I feel like we're kind of in a good cadence lately. Like we've been putting out a lot and uh, we would love to do them weekly, even twice a week. I'd, I'd love that. But all else aside, um, another way to, to really support us is through our sponsor, which is the Sally McRae Strength app, which you can find in the show notes here. There's a link. You can join for a dollar. So you get the whole month, uh, 30 days for a dollar. Then if you like the app, there's no contracts. You can sign up monthly for $14.99 a month or for the whole year for $99. And you will find a lot of different things in the app, whether you're looking just to get strong there are standalone workouts in there targeting your entire body. There's follow along programs. So you open up the app each day and it's day one, day two, day three. So four and six week uh, programs are in there. We also have a 16 week 50K program and an incredible community is being created around this app. Um, and also the podcast. I really see these two uh, intertwining. So you can check out that uh, community on Facebook, Sally McRae Strength where people just like you are working toward their goals, not just race goals. And I love that one of the, actually two of those reviews you read were people saying you don't have to be a runner. And really that is my heart. I, as a professional runner, yeah, I I talk about running a lot, but I'm, I'm actually not talking about running. And when we started this podcast, the tagline, strong body, strong mind, strong love is really what I'm after. And that's something that every human can relate to. So our goal is to really reach beyond the running community. I feel like there's a lot of running focus podcasts already out there and we just wanted something different. So the parallels with life and running are so beautiful and they just intertwine so seamlessly. And that's really why this works. And so I think that it, whether you're in the app or you're listening to the podcast, you don't have to be a runner and we invite everybody to join. So thank you for those that are already in the app. Know that helps support the podcast and it just helps support um, Eddie and I and just what we do. Our goal is to continue to create more content just across the board, whether that's social media. We are hoping to create like a legit YouTube series um, channel that is apart from the just the podcast. We kind of want to chronicle some things. So we have some cool dreams and projects um, in the work. So know that we just appreciate 
all the support. Let's go ahead and get started uh, with this race recap. Yeah, let's talk Leadville. Let's talk Leadville. And uh, for those of you that are interested in running this race, I'll tell you what, we got a lot of gold for you. We got some great takeaways, some positive and negative. We're going to talk about the chorus crew, prep going in. But overall, whether you want to run Leadville or not, I will be finalizing this podcast with um, some discussion on mental fortitude, how to overcome challenges, um, how to keep going when when things get tough, and really one of the biggest things that I continually love discussing with people is being okay with discomfort, being okay with pain and letdown is a way to grow, is a way to get stronger. So we're going to talk about that and... I think uh, we'll then touch a little bit on what's going on at the Choose Strong Project, what we're doing moving forward with that and how you can get involved. So um, let's go ahead and dive in. Leadville is race number three in the Choose Strong Project. If you want to learn about the Choose Strong Project, it's a couple episodes back. It's a super short episode, Uh, but this is race number three of six. And all of these races are very close together. Um, They are chosen for very specific reasons and they parallel different time periods in my mom's life. And so Leadville is known for its extreme altitude. The city itself sits at just a little over uh, 10,000 feet, which is a little over 3,000 meters. So the city sits high. You then, uh, the highest point on the course goes to about 12,600, I believe. So you're looking at about 4,000 meters there. And then the lowest point is only 92 or 9,300 feet. So the race is extreme because of the thin air and not a lot of people live this high and not many people that show up to the race are able to spend weeks on end acclimating to this altitude. So before I jump in, cause this is usually like the number one question that people ask when it comes to altitude races, they say, how can I get better at racing in altitude? Well, of course, the number one way that you get really good at, at racing altitude is to train in altitude. And so that is taking some time. If you can get out, I, I'm not the biggest fan of, of showing up five, just five days before a race because a lot of times um, it's usually like a few days after being in altitude that you also then feel the uh, effects of it. So you can feel good for like the first couple of days and then days like four, five, six, you can feel terrible and everyone responds to altitude differently. So If you can't train in it, then the other thing that you can do is, yes, there are altitude tents that you can buy or that you can rent, that you can sleep in. Um, I would recommend it at at the very minimum a month in something like that. Uh, And there's all different types now. They are pretty expensive, but there are some places that allow you to rent them. Um, But there is a protocol for just the everyday, you know, people that have families and jobs and busy schedules. And really that is getting to the race as close to race start as possible. And that's the protocol that Eddie and I did. And the reason why is because this project, um, it, all our races are so close together. We have kids who need us and our attention and they have lives and schedules too. And, um, so I knew that I needed to be here up until the day for our kiddos and just recovering. I had to take some time to recover after Andrew's Crest 100. So race started at 4 4 Mm a.m. on Saturday morning. We arrived in Leadville Thursday night. Yeah. And I'd say within a couple hours of arriving, I was 
my breathing was not great. I had a headache. I woke up probably three or four times in the middle of the night. Um, and then Friday was like the race meeting and we had events lined up every couple hours. And I thought this was interesting that the people that we talked to that did the same thing that flew in, you know, Thursday in mm -hmm. middle of the day, Thursday night, that night, the next morning, they said that kind of the same thing that you that you were talking about, how mm -hmm. you were breathing. You woke up, your breathing was kind of off. Yeah. And something racing. about like their chest and their mm -hmm. heart. There was like three other people yeah. that mentioned that same and thing. And like fit athletes. Like yeah. this isn't, it's not a matter of, of fitness. Here's the thing. Altitude and heat are pretty similar. Some people just do great in altitude. Eddie does better in altitude than me. He that's why That's why I was like confused when you guys were all talking. I'm like, wow, I slept like a baby. It was perfect. <laughs> you like, did. What was wrong with that? <laughs> I, I, he was fine the entire... We were there for a total of five days. I did have... Like, honest, that Friday, I did have like a small headache like mm -hmm. in the morning, but nothing like significant. And then it, it was gone after a while. It yeah. wasn't bad. But yeah, I did have a yeah. little... Because I can just tell that the air was thinner and... Mm -hmm. but. And I have friends like this. They don't live at altitude and they can go up to 12, 13,000. And they are, for the most part, I mean, you're going to feel the thin air and like breathing heavier. You're moving yeah. slower, but they're fine. They don't have nausea. They're not dizzy. They don't have the headaches. They're not, you know, they don't feel like they're struggling while they're, they're out there. And heat is the same way. Some people, even as much as they heat acclimate, just do not do well in heat. So I do believe if you are looking to do a high altitude race, Try to put yourself in a situation, even if you can't get on the race course, where you can feel out your body, see how you're responding. Because even if you are struggling, that doesn't mean like, oh, I can't do this race. It's just, hey, you're going to struggle. This is how you're going to be. So now you need to learn how to deal with it and learn how to embrace it and move the best that you can. And there's different things you can do. You know, with altitude, you want to be eating as well as you can. Hydration is key because you do get a little bit more dehydrated at altitude. But you want to make sure that you're getting those calories in because the calories are going to help with the belly. It's going to keep you moving, um, staying warm too. I know in, in the night hours of this race, that was key. And we'll talk about that later, what kind of happened to me um, in this race. But so altitude overall, we are situated uh, and for those of you that've been following me for a while, you know I train on Mount Baldy quite often. It's a this mountain is ten thousand sixty four feet, so um, a little over three thousand meters, and I do get an altitude as a mountain runner. I, I have to um, be an altitude now. The thing that I have noticed over the years is that I'm I'm fine typically uh, four to six hours in altitude. And I feel it like the air is thin. Um, I have already some skeletal structural, um, issues where I don't breathe out 100% and I don't breathe in 100%. So I knew, um, that choosing this race, I would struggle more as the race went on. And because of that, I chose to not have pacers. And that was a very conscious uh, choice because I thought if I am struggling, now I know that I will be struggling, I need to do it quietly. I need to just kind of get in my head, work through it. And I know that I would also have a very difficult time holding a conversation. And so I thought I'm not, I don't want to have a pacer. Do you think, I don't, I'm asking this because I have no idea. Mm -hmm. Do you think most ultra runners are like that? Do they, do they go into that like dark place and need to grind it out by themselves? Or do you think most of them like, no, I need someone to 
get me to the next aid station? I need a pacer. Yeah, you know, I that's a really great question. And I know recently I've I've noticed there's a lot more like psychologists and people that are writing articles and books on the mind of an ultra runner and there's some strong opinions about ultra runners and how they work through things. I've found a variety. I have found some people that are like, oh my gosh, I want to pacer someone distract me. And they love that idea of just talking as a way to not focus on what they're going through. Yeah. And I feel like I've been on both sides of the spectrum before. You know, Western States 2015 was a great example. Uh, Colin and I, we were sitting in, I think, seventh or eighth place. And I was literally vomiting while we were running hard. I was redlining. We were pushing so hard to catch the next girl in front of us. And having Colin there was incredibly helpful because he doesn't coddle me. He doesn't, isn't like, oh, it's okay. He's just like, dude, if you want this, you need to keep pushing. Mm-hmm. So I know you're throwing up, but you're fine. <laughs> you know? So I, it, I think it depends on who it is that's pacing you. And because I've been in the sport for so long, I have learned over time that sometimes settling my mind and just embracing quiet, embracing quietly with the struggle is sometimes the most powerful thing that I can do. And, and I, and really that's what happened at Leadville. So the altitude, I knew that I would struggle from the first step. I knew I would not be strong in this race. And the night before the race, I did share a story. You can go on my Instagram and look at it. I'm standing with these bright yellow uh, split shorts in Leadville holding up my number. And I share a story about uh, being five weeks old. And at five weeks old, I was diagnosed with pyloric stenosis, which in the most simple way... Uh, basically means that whenever I would eat, the food would just immediately come back up. I couldn't swallow. I couldn't digest food. and um, But the procedure to fix this was actually pretty simple. And when my parents took me to the hospital, my dad wanted to leave the hospital during the procedure. I think it was like an hour-long procedure. My mom didn't want to leave. She was devastated, but they ended up leaving. And when they came back, I was laying in the recovery room. And as my mom looked through the window at me, I was blue. I was lifeless. I was not breathing. And the doctor had already gone home. So she goes running down the hallway when they resuscitated me. uh, And this is really where I begin to tell this story about how I was brought back to life. Like breath was then back in my lungs and how... I imagined my mom breathing alongside me. And when I cried, she cried. And it's this acknowledgement of hearing that breath in your lungs, even in the midst of a struggle, is also realizing that you have this gift of life and how amazing it is to be alive. So that is why I chose Leadville, because I knew um, every race represents a period in, in my mom's life, and Leadville represents up until she's 28 years old, and so this is the time period of when I was born, and so I was born when she was 26, and so this race represents all the way until I was two, and so I wanted to choose a race that really signified um, something powerful at that point in both of our lives. And so I knew that I would struggle from the start, that breathing would be difficult, that I would be audibly breathing very loud, 
but that I would remind myself I am alive. So you can go back and read that post, read a little bit about it. I do detail a little bit more in my book, um, which isn't out yet. A lot of people keep asking. That book is not out yet. (laughs) It's coming, I promise. Um, But anyway, so Leadville for me was going to be probably one of the, in my mind, I thought, I want to finish this so bad. I, I know I will struggle from um, the first go. And, you know, like I said earlier, typically I'm, I can kind of hold on to that for like five, six hours in a hundred mile race. Most of the races that I do that are at altitude that go up that high, you're only up there for, you know, like a 50 K during the whole 160 K you're up there for 30 miles out of the hundred miles. And I can kind of recover and, and work through that, but I've never done a race this high for the entire hundred miles for the entire 160 kilometers. So I knew that this would be a challenge. Now going into the race, here's what our prep was going in. The race itself was exactly 13 days after I ran Andrew's Crest 100. So everything that I did in between there was just about getting my body healthy, uh, rested and as strong as possible. So what that looked like for me was loading up on calories, sleeping a lot, going to the O2 health lab here in Orange County where I'm able to get some cryotherapy. I can sit in Normatec boots, um, a light bed, anything to kind of relax the body, help with inflammation, uh, hydrating like crazy. I felt like I, I, every day I was trying to just drink a little bit more, making sure I had enough electrolytes each day. And then I focused more on gym than running. I believe when all is said and done, I probably only logged in those 13 days, maybe a total of 20 miles. And that's running, hiking, walking. So I did not, running was not the focus. For me, I wasn't like, oh, I wonder if I can go 100 miles. I know I can complete 100 miles, but is my body strong enough to endure another 100 miles? So I actually focused much more on strength training, mobility, and it was more basic strength, like making sure that, you know, I could do a lot of those single leg exercises that I put in my app, core workouts, every type of mobility, checking in with my knees, with my ankles, uh, making sure the hips and the glutes were aligned and strong. I saw my PT, who is a big help um, for me. I got to see her once or twice. And I think that's about it. Those were, those were the main things. So some days, and I would calculate, I was spending five hours on recovery methods, five hours on recovery, making sure like a very conscious effort. Okay. I'm going to take a nap. All right. I'm going to go see the, my PT. Okay. Now I'm going to go and get some cryotherapy and sit in the boots. All right. I'm going to spend an hour, half in the gym and my gym workouts weren't like these stellar, awesome. Yeah. Throwing the weight around. It was like sitting on the ground for half an hour, sometimes working through, you know, every, uh, joint and limb and just making sure, uh, you know, that I, that I was recovered. I also had to deal with the repercussions of AC 100. Uh, there is this horrible bush out there called a purple poodle, purple poodle dog or something like that. Say that 10 times fast. <laughs> right. Purple poodle dog. It's like poison oak on steroids, basically. I'm still dealing with it. Actually, after I said it, I don't know what it is. I said it and I started scratching my leg. It's all over my right foot. Like my right foot has scabs from me scratching because it's so vicious. 
So all over my right foot, there's just scabs everywhere. Um, it's up my thigh, it's on my stomach, um, and then it's on my left shin. And so we were dealing with that. I had some blisters and one of my knees was a little wonky just because of the overcompensating I had to do at AC 100 and bad water. So as I, I, for the first time, I don't know if I've ever worn a knee brace before, um, outside of soccer. Mm -hmm. When I was 16, I had to wear one because I collided with a goalie hyperextended my knee. So that's the last time. That's a long time. It was actually weird, like seeing you wear that. Right? Yeah. Like coming at me. Yeah. yeah it was weird. Yeah. So I bought a knee brace and the purpose was uh, as a precautionary because I knew that going into the next race where there's a lot of extreme climbing, I needed to have that extra support. So on one hand, it was supporting a little bit of weakness and weirdness. It's, it's kind of in there. It's not like I'm able to run and move and everything. But I think if I had a longer recovery, I'd, I probably wouldn't have needed it. But I just wanted that extra support. So that was our prep going in. Um, the course itself, it is 100 miles. Uh, there's almost 16,000 feet of climbing, uh, equal descending. It's an out and back. So it's 50 miles out, 50 miles back. The most extreme part of the course is this, uh, mountain called hopes pass where you climb pretty much straight up a very steep climb of about four and a half miles. You hit an aid station at the top, which is just incredible because the aid station is the, the way they got everything up there is by with llamas. So you get up there and there's these llamas just sitting at the top and a full blown aid station and there's music. It's so cool. I mean, they're playing sweet child of mine when I came up and I was, I just, I was so stoked. Uh, the air is very thin because at that point you're about 12,500, 12,600 feet up. Then you descend to the other side, which is very soul crushing because as you descend, you then have to run out an additional four miles to get to the aid station, which is the Winfield aid station, which historically I'm just going to be upfront with y'all. That's about where half the people drop out of this race. So this is one of the biggest hundreds in the world. I think there's only like two or three other hundreds that have this many participants in it. I think there's close to like 800, 800. Yeah. Um, that stood at the start line, which is really big for a mountain 100, um, race. Now there are no requirements to sign up for this race. A lot of people make Leadville their, their first hundred. Um, and so you have a lot of people out on the course because it's an out and back, that's also encouraging too. So you get to see the first 50 and then you know what to expect as you come back. The climbs typically in this race are long and the descents are long. And so, uh, and then there's long sections of just like flat running. So it's really interesting the way if you're going to strategically race this or go for a certain time, you got to be able to run at altitude flat and fast and well um, and then you have to be able to climb strong for a very long, long periods of time. I'd say when we were climbing back up the back of, of Hope's Pass, I mean, that was one of the most soul crushing parts of the race because the backside of that mountain is a mile shorter than the front side. So it's even steeper. And um, we'll dive into that in a minute. So that's a little bit of course preview. You do run on roads. You run through fields which have a lot of potholes in them. You run um, on, I did not know, the biggest surprise for me was how many technical sections were on this race. People always tell me, 
oh, Leadville is so runnable. It's so fast. So in my mind, I've always thought that it, there's not a lot of technical sections. And I, I think it also, technical can kind of be depending on what kind of like where you're from and what kind of races you do. And I race all over the world. So I'm very well aware of like what a technical um, race course looks like. And there are definitely sections in this race that were far more technical than I even expected to see. Um, there is two creek crossings where the water goes up to your knees and that's about halfway into the course. It's freezing. It might cause some, some blisters and some wet feet for some people if your feet are, are sensitive. And then you do get a change of weather. So at the top of Hope's Pass, we had a lot of rain and wind. And then, you know, 25 miles later, you're dealing with very, very cold temperatures. Um, historically, the race has been known to be a little bit warmer during this time of year. And everyone that's in Leadville is saying this is, was a particularly cold year, which um, if you're not used to racing the mountains and you don't know how to handle cold weather can get you in a lot of trouble. And so uh, when we checked the weather before we left, I thought I, I need to throw in like my legit storm gear, which I'm so grateful. And you too, you, yeah. you grabbed your storm jacket. Yep. So that's the course. Um, our crew this year was the Bear Performance Nutrition um, team came out. I think there was like 10 of them, 10 or 12 of them that came out. So they were there. Uh, we, a handful of them stayed with us as our camera crew media. They're an awesome group of guys. This is, um, a new sponsor this year who have been incredible. They have been documenting every race, uh, putting out updates, which people can follow along. They put out reels and pictures literally live. I don't even know how these guys are able to edit so quickly. Tyler and Drew, Jordan, uh, Lizzie, huge shout out to you guys. You guys are incredible. Yeah, they're amazing. But they have been working so hard and eventually they're going going to string all this footage together from the six races into a documentary. So we are super excited about that. We are not saying when it's going to come out. It might not come out till 2023, but um, the story that they are telling with their camera right now has been pretty awesome. So we had those guys out there. And then of course, Eddie mm-hmm. and Lucas. Yeah. Lucas. Who's Lucas? Lucas is a buddy from high school. He lives in Colorado. So it was kind of perfect. He just drove up and got to spend some time with Lucas and crew and you and yeah, it was fun. And he runs. He's an ultra runner too. Yeah, he's ran a couple ultras. But it was just crazy. Like you guys have known each other since you're kids, yeah. essentially. Yep. And so they got to spend that whole day. So that was really fun seeing you guys. Um, if you do not have crew for this race, you're gonna be fine. I mean, there were actually a lot of people that I talked to. You know, you don't you essentially really don't need crew pacers. The aid stations are very well stocked. They, there's good timing um, with the aid stations as well. But I, I'll tell you what, if you do get a crew, know that they are going to have a lot of fun. Wouldn't you say so, Eddie? I mean, yeah, we did have a lot of fun. But now I'm thinking back, if you said you can do this race without a crew, do you, did you need me at all? <laughs> uh, yeah, I did. Oh, okay. I did. <laughs> all right, just checking. Well, here's the thing. Some people, and this is the no, this is the side note, some people are a little bit hesitant to do 100 because they don't have crew. Yeah. I would say if you have the option of having a crew at any at any race, please have crew because crew is essential to helping you work through the inevitable challenges that you have. But the races, the race directors always try to encourage runners that don't have crew. So let's say it's a runner coming out of state yeah. that isn't able to fly out three, four people. I mean, that gets really expensive, right? Yep, yep. 
So a race director is going to say, hey, we have medical tents at every aid station. We have tables that are stocked with food. Our volunteers are amazing. And this is true. Yeah, you're right. And so that, you know, that side. But because I had crew, I never used any of that. I would always just go straight to you guys because I knew that I'd be well taken care of. You guys knew what I needed. I could get in and out of the aid station that much faster. You know my personal race goals, so you know how to talk to me too. So those moments when I was really struggling you know, Eddie, you knew exactly what to do. Whereas, yeah, if I had to go to a medical tent and ask somebody, I probably would have stayed there twice as long. Sometimes there's that risk of maybe they want you to drop out if they, if they see you're not doing well at all. So, um, so yeah, I like to encourage people. The bigger races, the ones that have been around for a while, they're, they're usually well stacked as far as their volunteers and what they have to offer you. So, Let's go ahead and dive in just to our race and what happened out there. Um, I know a lot of people have been asking about my knees Mm -hmm. and what happened and some of the struggles that I went through. So I want to take you guys through that because when I stood at the start line of this race, one of the things that was constantly going through my mind, and I, I always like to choose two words just to help me, you know, refocus. And that was hope and joy. I wanted to, and I loved that Hope's Pass was the name of the big mountain that I had. Yeah, that was cool. I knew that hope was going to be a good word for me because I really believe hoping with expectation is very different from just like, oh, I hope this happens. And uh, action-filled hope is very powerful. And I believe living a life filled with hope many times is what gets you out of bed in the morning. If you don't have hope in your life, uh, it's very difficult to believe that there is good ahead for you or that, you know, that, that things are going to change, the seasons are going to turn, that, that there is something good down the road. And so I knew that that is what I needed. I needed to have actionable hope that even in the darkest moments that I would keep hope at the forefront, knowing that there is a finish line waiting for me. And even before the finish line, I knew I was focusing on aid stations. I'm going to see Eddie again. I'm going to see my crew again. I'm, I'm going to be okay. And I really did hang on to that. Joy was something that, that I wanted to have during really the whole event. And I felt that from the moment we arrived in Leadville. The community at Leadville, I mean, the number of people we were able to meet and interact mm-hmm. with. I think I cried probably like four times in the middle of the race just because coming into the aid stations was so overwhelming for me uh, in a good way. But I would come in and just the cheers and the high fives and people calling out my name. I mean, I'm going to start crying right now. It, I was not expecting that. Mm-hmm. And it was a lot every time I came in. So feeling that support was just so overwhelming to me and um, yeah, it filled my heart with joy. So the race started at 4 a.m. And you, this is the, probably the only part where you start to, so you're at 10,000 feet and then you descend to like 9,200 feet. So you drop about 800 feet in the first, I want to say like four or five miles. So it was a good way to start as opposed to like run 400 meters and then you start up a big mountain. So I did feel good those first three, four miles. And I just cruised. I just kind of found my footing, found my placement. People had said, hey, be careful. You Make sure you are kind of 
up towards the front in the beginning because you hit the lake trails and it's all single track and you can really get stuck in a Congo line. And I'm so grateful that people told me that because, um, because it was a downhill, I was like, Oh, this, that's probably the only section that I actually pushed. Um, I don't like getting caught in Congo lines. I think sometimes, um, it makes me run at a weird running gate and I trip a lot because, sometimes Congo lines start to really tighten up and people are running so close on your heels that it's really easy just to, to not be in a good headspace. Um, it's stressful and I didn't want that. So I got out of Congo lines as soon as we hit that lake trail right away and just kind of cruised in mile 12.3 is the first time that I saw you. And that was really exciting. I felt really good coming into that first aid station. What was that aid station like? for you it was stressful because oh, the, oh, the part I'm, I'm just now hearing this <laughs> <laughs> let me be honest no the the parking was kind of a nightmare and it was like oh, on this nice. really small street and then you had to like walk like down the street and then it was kind of confusing and then we finally got to a spot and it was super crowded because it was the first station where everybody's crew was there and it was dark and they were kind of like picking their spots and Maybe part, part of it was because we didn't know where to go, but um, yeah, it was a little stressful at first, but then once we found our, found our spot, it was it was fine. It was cool because it was actually a really small, it's like a street, right? That mm-hmm. little street where everybody's like lined on both sides yeah. and you guys are running through. It was actually super cool to, because it was like a long, long strip there where you guys kind of run through and everybody's, you know, cheering on, you know, yeah. every, every runner. So that was really cool, but it was yeah. stressful at first. <laughs> Yeah, that was, uh, I remember coming in there and, and mentally checking that box off. I got to the first aid station. Yeah. The one cool thing about that first aid station is that I used the outhouse and (laughs) it was like one of the cleanest outhouses I've ever been in because it was like the first aid station. No one was there yet. So that was a bonus. In that moment, it was the cleanest (laughs) because probably 10 minutes after you used it. (laughs) That redeemed the whole stressful part of that aid station. (laughs) And I arrived at that. I have a roundabout time that I just like to give Eddie, especially for the first couple, because once I get past the first couple aid stations, he's then able to, oh, okay, it'll roughly take her this long or they can check the tracker. So people always ask like, oh, what was your goal time? Or um, I had so many people, they're like, you're going to crush. This is going to be your one. Like, I think people thought I was going to race it, but having a healthy time frame as to when you want to get to each aid station is good, especially if you're going to a race and you want to make sure that you're beating the cutoff times because cutoff times are real. And there's a lot of people that, um, you know, that didn't even make it to the second aid station because the cutoff times were a little bit more harsh than they thought. And so regardless of how fast you are, you do need to sit down and realize like, okay, in order to finish this whole race, I need to keep an average of 18 minutes per mile. I think that's what it is for 30 hours. So 18 minutes per mile in your mind, you're like, dude, I can totally walk the whole thing. But you have to remember it's altitude. The weather is changing. You have these massive climbs up mountains. How long are you waiting in an aid station? What if you have a bad fall or you're sick? Like, and then you're in an aid station for an hour, hour and a half. There's a lot of things that start to take away from your time. So for this race, I just thought in my mind, I was like, all right, well, if 18 minutes is it overall, I would love to run 
you know, the first half of this race as best as I can. Um, and so I think I had chosen to get into the first aid station, which was like 12 and a half miles because it was at altitude. I was like, you know, if I got in there two and a half hours or under, I'll be stoked. And I think I got in like in two hours. Yeah. You were right around two, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So I knew that I was, you know, I was in a good spot at that point. And then after that aid station, we did quite a bit of climbing. And here's the cool thing about an out and back. As we started to climb up this up this little mountain, uh, kind of like a, a Jeep truck trail, I, I realize I have to come down this. So I'm taking inventory of every section of this race as I'm going out. Okay, this is what I'm going to be doing at night. Okay, this is going to be a long descent. And I'm telling myself, okay, you need to save your legs for this. You want to be able to run down this. Okay, this part is going to be really technical. And it's funny because, you know, people are always like, what do you think about in a race? Don't you get so bored? I'm like, honestly, hundreds go by so fast for me because I'm constantly calculating. I'm taking in information. I'm staying aware of what's around me. And then there's runners everywhere. I, because there are so many runners in this race, I was always running with people and it was really fun. I met so many people. It was really cool. Just making new friends while I was running. And let's see, I think it was mile 26 when I saw you again. The that, second, eight, that yeah, outbound? Out, outward bound. Yeah. Outward bound. So outward bound, you're now at a marathon and that section between May queen and outward bound. So, you know, I hadn't, it would be a, a solid 12 ish miles before yeah. I saw Eddie again. That section was pretty good. Like you could, you could run it pretty well. There was some long climbs, uh, not too technical. And I found myself, you know, eating really well. That was a big thing for me. There were moments where I did not want to eat. I wasn't hungry. I wasn't thirsty, but I kept telling myself, Sally, you're at altitude. And so I was just doing these little tiny sips. I think being at altitude, almost drinking as if you're taking in fluid like an IV. So I do really little sips every few minutes, tiny, tiny little sips to make sure that I was staying hydrated. And then I was taking in a lot of G1M, which is bare performances, their endurance liquid. Um, it's great because it has good electrolytes in it, a really good mix of electrolytes and then a good mix of carbs and calories. So, and because this race was cool, I don't, I think I only took one salt tab the entire race. Yeah. I mean, I only gave you one. That was towards the end of the race. Yeah. And that's because what we'll talk about later, I was vomiting uncontrollably, but, um, and I need to to replenish, but I think overall I was able to just take in a lot of that calorie dense liquid. And I think when you are in extreme heat, extreme altitude, you, your system is working so much harder to digest food that I stay away from the heavier food. So I'm not eating like the struple waffles or peanut butter sandwiches or anything like that. I'm trying to eat things that are very easy to digest. That's not going to make my system have to work harder. I made you a peanut butter sandwich. Probably what mile is that later on? Like, I'm like, you know what? I, I guarantee she's going to want this. I laid it out there and you're like, I offered it to you. Like, no, I don't want that. Yeah. It was like all wrapped up, all cute. Yeah. I made it. I made sure. Yeah. It was nice. Whatever. (laughs) Whatever. That's like the life of a crew though. You do all this prep, you do all this stuff and your runner tells you all these things that they want. And the runner comes in like death and they're like, get that away from me. It was pretty cool because I like, I had fun. I had like whipped out my pocket knife and (laughs) tore open the 
peanut butter and I scraped the peanut butter off with my, it, with my knife. <laughs> He's still talking about it. He needs some credit here. Eddie, thank you. Do you still have it by any chance? You know chance? what? No. Did you threw bring away. it home? <laughs> yes. But no, that G1M, you were, you were really, I mean, that every aid station, you mm-hmm. filled up with that and you're, and you had a lot of coconut water. Yep. And coconut, coconut water seems to be the consistent theme too. Yeah, you're so good G1M with that. and coconut water. Coconut water is great because it is a little bit of added electrolyte, but it's not so calorie dense. So sometimes when my belly is not good at all, I'll just take little sips of the coconut water because it's just light and it's just a li- and the taste is mild enough yeah. that I can get it down even when I'm feeling sick. So um, those two things have been pretty consistent and I'm glad I can rely on those things. So traveling, we're going to be going to Switzerland soon you know, we're just bringing the powder and then we know we can find coconut water pretty much anywhere we go. It, that has been a reliable nutrition plan for us. So after I got to Outward Bound, oh my goodness, let's talk about Outward Bound Aid Station. Yeah, that one's cool. It was super long in the field. This race is, that one's pretty iconic. I feel like a lot of, a lot of the documentaries that are out there for Leadville 100, a lot of them showcase their runner running through this field. Yeah, yeah. And I was so excited to get to Outward Bound because I've always been so curious. Like, what is this field that suddenly all these runners, like, go through? And believe it or not, there's actually a lot of potholes. Yeah. Like, gnarly potholes. Like, you will break your ankle if you are not looking at the ground and paying attention. Because they're legit holes. It's not just, like, a groove in the dirt. Like, there's grooves in the dirt everywhere. But these are holes that are, like, so perfectly fitted for your shoe. Well, when we, we crossed <laughs> over kind of that, that strip. We crossed over to the other side because there was a, an opening so we can set up over there. And just walking across that, like, there was, like, a ditch, like, a mini ditch. Mm-hmm. And then, like, grass kind of growing over it. So you can't really even see it until yeah. you put your foot there. So it's kind of sketchy to, to yeah. run through. And you run out of that, I'd say, for over half a it's a long stretch yeah Yeah, it's so we come off what happens before you reach this aid station you come off this descent called power line which i was running with this guy brian who's a soccer player brian if you're listening hello i had such a great time running with you um yeah he's a former pro soccer player and we turned the corner to run down power line and we were actually talking about the lead men now the lead men are these incredible athletes who just a week before they do the 100 mile mountain bike race on this course. Certain parts they they um, they change just because it's it's not fit for a mountain bike to go on, like around the lake. And but we turn the corner at the top of this ridge, and I look down. It's power lines, all power lines, but it is this steep drop. I, I couldn't believe it. And Brian says, "Oh yeah." the mountain bikers go down this on their bikes. I was like, no way. Like this is gnarly for us to run down. So you run all the way down this thing, which I want to say is almost a mile long. Then you hit the road and you run on the road for about a mile and a half, two miles. And then you get to the outward bound aid station. So when you're on the road, you see this aid station in the distance and it literally just pulls you along. You are anticipating, you're hearing the noise and the cowbells and the cheers. I mean, cowbells are like so iconic to trail running. And when you hear that cowbell, it is just like, it is the ring of hope and comfort and joy because you know that you are going to be taken care of. You're going to see your crew or your drop bag. And that just pulled us along for like a half mile. I ran with Brian all the way in. 
But I was not expecting what I did when I ran there. And I think that was the first time I kind of welled up with tears as I came in to that aid station because it was a thunderous applause and cheering and yelling. And you run through all these people, you run under this arch. And as I, I see you, as I'm going down, I see Courtney DeWalter on the left of me and she's wearing this huge jacket with two beer bottles on it. So I run over to her and I hug her and we have a little chat and I'm just like laughing. It was so great seeing her out there. And then I go over to Eddie and the crew and we were in and out pretty quick, I feel like. I had to, was that where I put on my knee brace? No, you put it on later, but okay. Yeah, you weren't you weren't in that one very long. We just kind of filled your bottles up, and you said you're feeling good, and mm-hmm. kind of explained what was coming up. And oh, you were very it. insistent on me eating. Yeah, you had you had a, a half avocado, avocado and a banana. Yeah, you were like, no, you need to eat. Yes, you need to eat, which I so appreciate about Eddie because one of the things that I've learned about myself, which is just something that I know I always have to work on is I'll have a race plan. I'll discuss stuff with him. But as the race goes on, I'm laser focused on covering terrain. That's all I care about is I need to cover this terrain. And I, if, if I feel good, 30 seconds in the aid station and I'm out, I do not like lingering in aid station. If I don't have to be there, I am out. And I think Many times when I already know what my nutrition plan is, I'm like, just put it in my pack. Let's go. Here's my bottles. I'm out. Okay, give that to me. I'll eat it as I'm running. But the longer that I stay, I feel like it, you know, the more dangerous it is. I think you even tried to get me to sit. And I was like, no, I feel good. Like, you're like, okay, then you need to eat this avocado. You need to eat this banana, which saved me essentially because having some solid food early on in a 100-mile race is gold because it's almost undeniable that as the race goes on, it's that much harder to get solid food in. Your system's just mad. It doesn't want to digest a bunch of food. So if you can fill up on the calories early on in a hundred mile race, do it and do it with stuff that's easy to digest. So we're big on the avocado noodle soup and bananas. Those are, I feel like those are your three go-to right now. Those are my go-tos right now. Good fat, good calories. You know, we got that potassium in, in the bananas, which help with cramping. So I left that aid station and I linked up with my, uh, with my new friend, Randy. And I want to give a shout out to my friend, Randy. She is an incredible runner. She's a mom of five. And as we were running along, she started to share with me how she lost her mom from cancer. And we ran many miles. I think we ran for like a few hours together after that, but really just shared her choose strong story with me. And I, I think I welled up a little bit with tears because Randy has so much joy and uh, loves running and really had a great relationship with her mom, Rhonda. And she knew that my mom's name was Diane. And so she said, Sally, when things get tough, we know that Rhonda and Diane are going to be helping us up and over those mountains. And so it was really neat to share those those miles with her. And that, I actually got that a few times throughout the race. People would come up next to me and, and just share their stories in the middle of the race. And uh, just like Angela's Crest in Badwater, you know, it's, it's those moments that really keep me centered, that remind me why I do what I do and how those are the things that make the running fulfilling mm-hmm. and make this whole project what it is. You know, I'm not looking at, how close I can get to the top of the podium or a certain time, but something bigger, something a little bit deeper. And I, 
I don't think there was a section of the course where I wasn't feeling that I wasn't feeling that project really hit home with me in my heart. And so, um, that was super cool. So we, we got out. I don't think I saw you again after that. I don't see you for, gosh, was it like 20 miles that I saw you? Cause I didn't see you. Yeah. I think it's like almost 20 miles. Was it? Yeah. Because yeah. Because it's twin lakes. No, no, because from outward bound another 12 to get to twin lakes. And then I don't see you after that for like 20 oh, miles. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's right. So then we get to twin. So I felt pretty good. Yeah, you felt good at that I one. Felt, and I felt we good moving. when I came into Twin Lakes. You know what? I, I did put on my knee brace. The, at Outward Bound. At Outward Bound. Now that I remember it. Because I came into Twin Lakes, twin Lakes wearing it. Yeah, you're right. You came down that hill and you had yeah. it on. You're right. So this is where I put the the knee brace on as more precautionary. I was feeling the knee that yeah. was a little bit weaker from AC 100 having to do that super weird hike after my quads had blown up and it just didn't feel great on some of the climbs. And so I said, you know, my K tape keeps falling off cause I sweat like a horse. I couldn't keep the K tape on. I probably should have brought, bought that spray, that adhesive spray. And so we took out that knee brace and I threw that on and that thing was hot. It was heavy. It was hot. And, uh, I'd say probably after about 10 miles, I could feel it just digging into my skin. I now have about six or seven very deep burns from it on my legs and it was driving me crazy, but I thought I'm just going to ignore this, whatever. Like it is what it is. It's supporting my knee a little bit. So, um, we got through the next 12 or so miles, 11, 12 miles. There's some good climbing, some good running section, and then a very long descent into Twin Lakes. Now I thought Outward Bound was a massive, overwhelming, packed aid station, but Eddie, tell us a little about Twin Lakes. Twin Lakes was (laughs) awesome because two, two reasons, because one, you come down you, like you just said, you kind of descend the side of that little mountain thing, and then you get into uh, the start of that long, I mean, super long aid station. It does like this whole U, right? Like mm-hmm. goes all the way around, and then you're back out the other way. Like it's throws you back on the course. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, so, it's long. so fun because there's just tents and people, because so this is the, the aid station where. We can't see you because you go out, you go past, you hit that turn around, you come all the way back, and that's a 25-mile-plus You used section. to want to go to Winfield. They took but that you can't away. Anymore. So the right. crew used to be able to see you after you climbed and descended Hope's Pass, and then and then you had to turn around and climb again. But they took that aid station away. So, so you can't. So yeah. people just park it at this aid state that this i mean For five six hours literally. or longer yeah. and they have pop-up tents this lining you know and they got barbecue i mean it's like a party <laughs> out there and because people are there like all day and there's food trucks and there's music and yeah I mean, you see, is it a village it's like a little it is like a little, little village it's a little town yeah it has like a, a little, little marketplace and you can yeah. get some stuff in there what did you get did well, you go shopping or get some coffee or so we were this is the second reason why I like this place because they had so many options and it was perfect because you chose hope and joy for this uh, race. Right. And we got there at like 10 AM. So this is what, six hours after the race started. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so we were, Lucas and I were pretty hungry and we knew you weren't going to come in for a couple hours. So we're thinking, all right, let's go grab something to eat. So we saw, 
these two, we saw like this little shack that had burrito, you know, breakfast burritos. Yeah. And then we saw this yellow VW bus that also had, you know, a breakfast. yellow VW yes. bus. Yeah. My and, it, car. and it had breakfast burritos. And so we were looking for, okay, breakfast burrito and coffee is going to hit the spot. <laughs> so we were using hope and joy. We're like, okay, <laughs> I hope we hit one of these spots because we had to choose. We're like, which one is going to have the best burrito? And Lucas is like, let's, let's try this. And I go, you know what? I'm, I'm a little skeptical on a <laughs> yellow bus to produce a great breakfast burrito. And whatever, we went to that one <laughs> hoping that we were going to get, and the burrito was not good. It was, it was just like the, the, like a, Aww. like the microwavable, you throw it in yeah. and just like praying. One step up from Hot Pocket. Right. And you're just praying that your like third bite isn't like frozen in the middle, you know? <laughs> But the coffee was, gave us joy. It was good. So <laughs> the hope, we did, it was kind of a fail. Oh, man. But you know what? We, we, that was 10 a.m. And then hours later, we were still there. And we opted for the shack and had a great Baconator burger. Ooh, really good. Baconator yes, burger. Yes, it was solid. Oh, I haven't had my bacon avocado cheeseburger yet. No. Which is something I usually have after a 100-mile race. I crave a burger. No, but you made me an incredible steak. Yeah. I, I think that's why. I think that's why I'm I'm but satisfied. Anyways, yes, yeah, so that was our hope and joy for the race. So you got yeah, you guys were there for a while. In fact, I remember as I descended into that aid station, same thing. Overwhelming, loud. It's just so loud. Cheering, cheering, cheering. yeah. A volunteer comes to me as soon as I hit. He's like, Sally, what can I get for you? And I was like, I just need noodle soup. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking I'm going to run maybe 50 feet in Seattle. Oh, no. This aid station whines, just as you said. It yeah. whines. I, I ran down like 100 meters, took a turn, still don't see him. I was like, oh, man. And I knew that that volunteer had gone back because he came out from the food table. Yeah. So I'm thinking like he sees me. I'm probably just going to be 50 feet down. Like he'll come bring the soup or I'm going to see you. Oh no, I turn around, I turn the corner, I keep running, running, and then you guys are are there to bring me in. Yeah, well, I met you there at the start there when you came in. Oh yeah, that's right. I ran with you, but we had to kind of jog for a while yeah, we to, jogged to go for to where we were set up. And at this point, I was I was starting, I wasn't feeling awesome. And and it was it was something totally to be expected. Like I knew, okay, the altitude you know, it was a little rough and I had said that my knee was, was bothering me a little bit at this point. Yeah. I also had been out of calories for a little while. A friend of mine was in trouble. I actually forgot to tell you this. A friend of mine was in trouble on the descent. So we had about two miles to get into the aid station and, um, she's pretty quick. And I came up behind her. I was like, are you okay? She's like, yeah, like something's going on with my quads. And I was like, girl, I know exactly what's going on with your quads. I go, do you have, do you have enough calories? Do you have electrolytes? Are you drinking? She didn't have any water, anything with her. So I stopped and I gave her, um, you're like, let me water. tell you about AC 100. I did. And I said, okay, this is what you're going to do. <laughs> this is what you out. are going to chill because we're so close to the aid station. Do not bomb this descent. I know that I'm sure you're, cause she had some the time adrenaline. One, yeah. Yeah. I know that that's what you want to do. And it's, it's hard to pull back right now, but you, right now we're going to save your quads. So I gave her, I had some water in my flask. I had her drink that. And I said, just chill. Don't beat up your quads. 
when you get in to the aid station, load up on electrolytes. Load up because if you are dehydrated, that your quads are going to be the first to go. And that's essentially what happened to me at AC 100. So, so we, we kind of did that. So when I got into the aid station, I wasn't feeling great. I was, I was pretty depleted and I thought, okay, I'm about to go climb the biggest climb of the course. This is the most challenging part of the course. And I did take my time there. We, that volunteer ended up finding us. Yeah, he ran down oh the, my the chute to find you. He ran you. down the whole chute to oh, find us. Cool. I mean, this is, again, the volunteers at this race are next level premiere. Yeah, they were awesome. And um, he gave me the soup. So I did eat a lot of that. Yeah. I ate some banana. I think you gave me an extra G1M mm-hmm. because I knew I wouldn't see you for a while. And I knew that my drop bag had G1M too. So, uh, that was really good. And then I left that aid station and you run through this meadow. It's so beautiful on your way to Hope's Pass. And you, so I, I leave this amazing energy. I remember thinking like in my heart, like, oh, I just want to sit in the chair and take this energy in. Mm-hmm. Cause I was at a little low patch, but I thought, okay, I'm going to eat. And I made myself kind of go slow leaving the aid station. I did like a run walk for a mile. And in fact, I think because I was having such difficulty breathing up until this point. So we're like 45 miles in. Is that sound about right? A little less than that. Yeah. Maybe I knew at this point. Yeah. I was probably only like 60 K and 60, 62 K. And I knew that I needed to slow down. And so from this point on the rest of my race was a run walk. I could run for like five minutes and then my heart rate was through the roof. I'd get a little dizzy and then I'd need to power hike. So, and I embraced that. I knew that before I even signed up for the race, that was going to be my strategy. In fact, this is also why between AC 100 and Leadville that, um, all the running that I did was walk running. Um, I wanted to power hike strong. I wanted to see how quick and, and well I could move per hour. I think I did one, one of my training days. I said, how many miles can I get in one hour if I do like a run walk? And the goal was to do like six miles in an hour, purposely like forcing myself to walk. And I was like, okay, that's good. Now translate that to altitude. That's going to bring it down to about four and a half, five miles per hour. So I was trying to do some calculations and I knew that if I could keep that, I would be finishing well under the cutoff time. I wouldn't have any stress. And at this point, um, in the race, I, I was making very good time, like very, very well under the cutoff. I didn't, you know, I was never stressing about cutoff times. As I went into the meadow, um, I realized, oh, this is where we're going to have the creek crossing. So we crossed through this creek. It's freezing cold water. And for some of you listening, I know the first thought that you're having is like, oh my gosh, aren't your shoes and socks all wet? Isn't that going to give you blisters and rubbing? Well, I was wearing the brand new Zagama Nike trail shoe. And this shoe is incredible. I did a photo shoot in it a couple uh, months ago. The photo shoot in one day, we ran, I think, 23 miles in this shoe. So I was very confident in it. I knew that it would be a great shoe for Leadville. I think I either got like, I got something in the shoe. I don't know if it was kind of like dirt or sand or something, which then ended up rubbing raw several parts of my feet. By the end of the race, I had like a bunch of 
like burn rubbed raw areas on my foot. Outside of that, the shoe did great. But typically trail shoes do drain well. And so it wasn't an issue for me. Uh, I I typically, my feet usually always do well in water, whether they're wet. Um, and I knew that because it was such a short time in the water and now we were going to climb, I thought my feet would be okay. And, and they were, for the most part, they were fine. After you do this creek crossing, you then begin the ascent up Hope's Pass. And that ascent is uh, a lot of steep climbing, a lot of switchbacks, a lot of rocks. And I knew before leaving the aid station, remember all the rain gear I grabbed from you? Mm-hmm. I said, this is where we're going to hit hit rain. The day before Leadville, it was like 80 to 90% rain and lightning and it was supposed to start between like 11 and 12 and so I was so grateful it was like holding off holding off but then we're starting to see these clouds come in I was like oh perfect the storm's gonna hit right as I hit the top of the mountain and I'll tell you what it did yeah you can see we can see from <laughs> below we're like oh man because that's where the clouds were just kind of yeah. settling it was kind of dark yeah I'm like man you're getting you're getting the storm up there yeah I'd say, so you're like climbing inside this forest. It's like a fairy tale land. I thought for sure I'd see Tinkerbell as I was climbing up. It's (laughs) so beautiful and green. And there's this rushing river next to you as you're climbing up. I mean, it's next level beautiful. If you have a chance to hike Hope's Pass, I highly recommend it. Now at this point, we've already had over 40 miles on our legs. So the climb, of course, is very laborious. Um, it is not by any, (laughs) any measure easy. There aren't any flat sections, um, up this mountain. There isn't like a stretch of flat. You climb the entire time. It's about four and a half miles just before you hit the top of the mountain, which opens up to this beautiful field. And this is where the aid station is. I can see in the distance, like 200 meters from me, I'm seeing just wind, this really intense wind. I know it's raining. You can feel the temperatures have now dropped. And I have learned over the years, being a mountain runner, that you do not put your gear on when you're already cold. You should do it before. So watching the weather, being respectful of mountain weather. Mountain weather changes on a dime. It can be sunny and then all of a sudden like flash flood. Or it can be sunny and then all of a sudden it's lightning and snowing. Like you don't mess with mountain weather. And the higher you go up a mountain, especially, and in the later in the day. So this is now afternoon. Um, there was already a forecast to a storm. So before I came out of the forest, I stopped. Oh, and I forgot to say, I'm now climbing so slow. I want to say a solid hundred people passed me on on the climb. I I I could not believe how slow I was moving. I just could not breathe. I mean, I just had a really difficult time. So this was Hope's Pass was um, humbling pass for me. It was so humbling to be moving so slow. I mean, seeing people that I hadn't seen since the start. Like, and it was because of your breathing or was it some of your knee too or the knee the knee hurt but I had I kind of put that into a different compartment in my mind. Yeah. I was like we're just climbing with this. Yeah. The breathing was a great frustration because I could hear it, I could feel it, I couldn't change it. Yep. I wanted to move faster. I wanted to be 
you know, I wanted my muscles energized and oxidized much more than they were. And I just couldn't make that happen. So I was redlining. If I, as soon as I put in that hard effort that I usually like to do when I climb, uh, I would redline. And I knew you can only redline for so long before you completely bonk and fall apart. It's just not a good idea when you're only halfway into a hundred mile race. So I knew what I was doing by purposely going slow, I was allowing myself to save a little bit of energy in order to finish this race. So I thought, all right, we're now going to be going really slow. I just need to accept it. So I stop. I put on all my warm gear. I put on gloves. I, I have this Gore-Tex Nike Trail rain jacket that has a hood. I put on an extra um, buff around my neck, which I could pull up over my nose and mouth and ears if I needed to. And a beanie. And then I put a beanie on too. So I was very warm. And I'll tell you, I am so grateful that I did that because as I made my way to the aid station, the first thing I did was get soup in. So now I wanted that my insides to be warm. Um, I did, that was my first time taking in Coke too. Coke is like rocket fuel at altitude, that quick sugar, uh, just that injection of quick sugar is also helpful. So I took in some Coke, which the Coke cups were all sitting out in the rain. It was totally raining at this point. And so it was like half rain, half Coke. <laughs> watered down Coke. <laughs> it was totally watered down. And really funny story. I had thought that the aid station is then where you descend. And I'm looking up and it looks like there's another thousand feet of climbing. It looks like there's more switchbacks. So I go up to the guy at the aid station and I say, where do we descend? He's like, oh, just, you just have to go up that climb right there. And I look at him, I was like, oh, you're making that sound so simple. Just up I that go, climb. I go, just up that climb. And I like start bantering with him. And he goes, do you need a hug? <laughs> I was like, yes. <laughs> I've been moving so slowly. So he hands me a, um, a cup of soup. I take down the soup. I eat some noodles. It's not what I want, but I do know it's what I need. Yeah. I, I needed that in order to get to the aid station, which is... Seven miles yeah, away. Yeah, six or seven miles. Yeah, it was, I, I needed that energy. I didn't feel awesome. I was cold. My stomach wasn't great. I wasn't breathing well. But I thought, this fuel is is everything to me, right, to me right now. So I took some time in that aid station, just a few minutes, got some soup, and then continued on. We then start descending the backside, and this is where I realize, oh my gosh, we have to come back up this. This is steep. These are some steep switchbacks, and we just keep descending, 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 going down. We then get to this pivotal, like, uh, kind of like fork in the road, and you have to go right for four more miles now to get to the aid station. So we start. Um, it's kind of an indulating, like climb, descend, climb, descend. It is not an easy time to the aid station. By the time I get to the aid station, I am now a little bit out of it, uh, which has been normal in all the years that I did UTMB. This typically happened about at mile 50 because you spend this, a section of time in altitude in UTMB. I'd say maybe just 50 K of it, about 30 miles of it. And after that long is where I start to get dizzy. Uh, my breathing is pretty erratic. When I came into the aid station, medical grabbed me. And they're like, you don't look right. You're not moving right. Um, you are, they asked me some questions and they said, we don't like how you're responding. It, you you kind of sound like disoriented. And so then they took me over to the medical station. I was really bummed. I did not want to be there. 
And they started asking me questions. You know, do you know what day it is? And I checked out. I was like, you guys, I'm fine. I just need to eat. I need to fill my bottles. They're like, yeah, but just the way you're answering, like, so they had to check my oxygen. Um, they had to take my blood pressure. I had three people around me the entire time. And one of the guys was like, I don't know. I think you should stay here longer. And I looked at him. I was like, no, I need to go. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, buddy. I'm yeah. out of here. And I was still making good time, kind of. Like I was bummed because I was now, this aid station, the cutoff time is 6 p.m. I got there at 4 p.m. So I still had two hours. I could have stayed there for two hours. But even then, in my mind, I thought, oh my gosh, I, I'm typically not this close to cutoff times. Like only two hours. Like I'll get in several hours uh, before a cutoff time. So in my mind, I was like, I know the climb that is ahead of me. If I don't leave right now, I'm going to have a rough time making this cutoff. So I tell the guy, listen, I'm, I'm going to eat. I'm going to be okay. I, I, I know what day it is. What, you know, I know what time it is. They asked me, one of the things they asked me was like actually a hard question. <laughs> You're like, I don't know. <laughs> I, know. I was like, he's all like, there. About what time of day is it? And I was like, what? <laughs> like, it's like throwing oh. down some math question. You're like, I don't know. I have no idea. <laughs> what is the root of? <laughs> I'm like, dude, like easy there. When's my birthday? But I don't even know you. <laughs> Who founded the state of Colorado? Uh, uh, that's it. You're out. You're out of the race. <laughs> It was like a scene from the Holy Grail. Bring in the medic. She doesn't know. <laughs> what is your favorite color? <laughs> Green. No red. <laughs> so I um, so I got myself up. I got some fuel. One of the things that I held on to at this point that actually helped me out of the aid station was, Sally, you're running back home. Like you are now running back to the finish. And this is a very cool. hopeful part of an out and back course. You know, I, I love point to point. It's very much an adventure. But now in my mind, the way that I conceptualized it was I already know every step of this course because I already ran it. I know what to expect. And now I'm going to go do it again. And so I made my way out. Now, this is also the section where because it's out and back, you are passing a ton of people. And so this was really fun. You're, you know, and as time goes on, you're seeing people working so hard to make that cutoff. So as I got up like an hour up to the aids, an hour out from the aid station, you know, I'm hitting people that are like five miles from that aid station. So they are, they're moving. And I was, yeah, I was about five miles out from the aid station, about mile 55 now. So we're like 87, 88 K into the race. I'm going down this single track. There's a lot of single track and there's three people coming toward me. And at this point, it's a little bit of a, of a downhill, maybe just for like 50 meters. And I, as soon as I look up at the three coming at me, I trip and I trip so hard. I don't even remember tripping. Like all I remember is just being on the ground and in a world of pain. And my first thought is, please do not have any broken bones. Like I was kind of afraid for my arms because, you know, that's usually what you use to stop yourself. But I don't even remember being able to really stop myself. I, I kind of ripped up my arm. I could feel that it was bruised. But I lay there flat on my face for a second. I roll over 
And the three that were coming at me, there's a guy in the front and I'm so sad I didn't get his name, but he was so kind to stop. And these are people working hard to get to Winfield. Yeah, they're moving They don't on have that. time to stop, but all three of them stopped. Are you okay? Are you going to be okay? And this guy, he's like, let me help you up. So he helps me up. And I, and I was so grateful. I mean, I had blood pouring out of my knee, but I was just happy that nothing was broken. In my mind, I thought, okay, nothing's broken. We're okay. We can deal with blood and bruises and things like that. That's not going to inhibit my running gait. But I looked at him. I was like, you guys have to go. You got to go. You got to get to that aid station. Thank you so much for stopping. I mean, the kindness out on the trails, that is the heart of ultra running right there. Yeah, that's cool. Because, you know, these these few people could have been like, dude, sorry, I hope that you're okay and kept running because it's their race. Like yeah. they, they want to stay in the race. But um, so the three people that stopped for me, if you are listening, thank you so much for your selflessness and your kindness, because it really meant a lot to me and you didn't have to do that. I genuinely would have not been offended if they would have kept, kept going. Yeah. Because I knew at that time how critical it was. And as soon as I assessed myself and knew, okay, I don't have any broken bones. I'm going to be okay. And here's the deal. Here's my secret. When you take a fall on the trails, cause it is a part of trail running. The majority of the time people are fine. Now there are some pretty crazy stories we hear of people, um, you know, falling and having some big injuries, but I've, I've had a handful of really hard, just flat on my face, pounding onto the ground. It kind of rattles you from your core. I mean, it throws you off. So you think about it, on one hand, it feels like someone's just picked you up and thrown you on the ground, like slammed you on the ground, but you've done it to yourself. My uh, trick is get up as fast as you can. Do not stay and sulk or uh, evaluate for too long. If you can get up as fast as you can, uh, then typically you're, you're going to be okay. And it's not going to become an issue or a distraction in your mind. You're not going to think about it as much. And you have to tell yourself, I'm fine. I'm fine. It's just blood. The sight of blood can, can sometimes alarm you. Now, if you have an injury, a fracture, um, you know, a bone sticking out, something's broken, that's a whole other story. But that's what I do. I first assess right away. Is anything broken? Okay. If, if I don't have anything broken, I am standing up and we are moving. So that's pretty much how that happened. So as I started to work my way, then up back up to Hope's Pass, I mean, you should have seen the looks on people's faces because there's so much blood coming down out of my knee. And I was thinking in my mind, well, I, I probably look kind of crazy, but I didn't even want to look at it. So um, I didn't know the extent of what was going on. I did, as we started to climb up the steep sections, my knee would come, you know, I'd step and I'd see that knee in front of me and I saw how swollen it was already. I was like, oh my gosh, it is so swollen. But then I would tell myself, but we're moving fine. The knee did not affect my running gait and I was very grateful for that. And so I kept telling myself, I'm so grateful that this isn't affecting my running gait. I'm so grateful that I didn't break anything. I'm so grateful. I'm still moving. I'm still climbing. It hurts. It's throbbing. It's bleeding. I don't like that it's there. That was a bummer. But I'm actually not going to focus on any of those things. I'm just going to focus on the fact that I can still move. So we got back up to that hopes, the the main trail. It's a couple miles, those switchbacks. I'd say that almost everybody in our group at some point that we were climbing with stopped and was bending over on their poles. Just the, the climb was so brutal. It was soul, it was soul sucking. I mean, I just, 
I, I think because you're so tired and you're climbing up higher and higher and higher, you're getting the highest point yeah, again touching for the second 12 time. 12 plus thousand feet. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I'll tell you what, I kept that hope in my heart and I kept telling myself, I just need to get to the top. Because mm. once I get to the top of this, the hardest part of the course is over. Yeah. And it was miserable. I mean, I, I passed a couple people on the climb that were bonking, like legit bonking. They were having such a rough time. And I thought, no one's climbing fast. The only way we get to the top is one foot in front of the other. And it was really neat because some of the people in our group were yelling that out. Mm, Come cool. on, guys, we got this. We can do it. Come on, you guys, one foot in front of the other. And so we just had this very encouraging group. There's probably like 15 of us um, all spread out over the course, probably like 200 meters. But you see everyone on the switchbacks, yeah. you know. And at certain moments, everyone's just trying to say, you guys, we got it. We're almost there. We got to keep going. As soon as I get to the top, I was greeted full-blown surprise by Tyler and Drew with their camera equipment. You guys, these are the BPN media guys who were updating you with reels and pictures and stories throughout the race. These guys are stellar. They had run up Hope's Pass and are standing at the aid station. Wait, no, they're went beyond the aid station. They greeted me and I'm just laughing so hard. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. So you awesome. guys are incredible. They're <laughs> full-blown camera equipment. And here's the thing. These guys are young. They are excited. They love what they do. And they just think this is the coolest thing ever. Like, and they take it very seriously. Like they're so passionate and, but very serious about, we have to get quality stuff. We need to get you on top of Hose Pass. I mean, it was such a gift. Mm, so cool. to get to the top was a massive celebration. I told myself when I get to that aid station, I am going, uh, I'm going to be the happiest girl and that's when Sweet Child of Mine was playing. Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> I took in some more soup, some more soda. And Tyler and Drew ran ran down. I think they ended up running down Hope's Pass with, with their camera. That's the only way you can get down, right? So I'm just like giggling. Like I cannot even believe that you guys are doing this. They follow me all the way down the trail. Now, as cameramen, of course, there was zero help. They had offered no type of aid whatsoever. And sometimes I would run ahead of them or they'd run ahead of me just to get a shot or something like that. But I would yell out to them at certain points. I can't believe you guys are doing this. Now, because of the rain, we're descending down sketchy rocks. I mean, these are like big rocks, boulders, pointed rocks, gravel, roots. It's slippery. So we descend four miles. We run back through the meadow. We get through the river. And then at that point when I see you again, so you've been now at Twin Lakes yeah, we're at Twin Lakes still. We've been there kind of all day. It's, yeah. it's been six. The sun is just now setting, I yeah. think, at this point. We got there at 10 a.m. Um, you came a couple hours after that and then got you out. And then, yeah, it was like a 25-mile. You know, we weren't going to see you for 25 miles, mm -hmm. and that's the Hope's Pass, you know. And you came in. Yeah, I think sun was just setting. It was like 8-ish around mm -hmm. there. Yeah, mile 67 or yeah. so. Yeah. That's 67. I put on a headlamp. Um, I did have my, oh yeah, I had taken my poles up Hope's Pass. I was so grateful I had those poles. That was the first time I had taken yeah. them. Was it the first time I saw you at Twin Lakes? And you asked me, are you sure you want to keep those poles? And I was like, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. It's a huge climb, a very long sustained climb out of Twin Lakes in the dark. And this is the section where I, I started to really... Yeah, so really fall apart. I'm gonna chime in real quick. The so when you came out of Hope's Pass, 
I was talking to Lucas because we, you know, we were deciding, okay, where do we, we've been there all day and we were deciding where do we, where do we want to set up our, oh, yeah. our, our, uh, our chairs and, and your food. And so we decided, you know, let's park right where you get off of that meadow before you get into the aid station. Cause we knew you were going to be in a tough spot. We knew it was going to be like, you did. You knew I just, it. yeah, I just knew, I knew going up it was tough and 25 miles of what you were about to experience and come through was going to be tough, Mm -hmm. uh, especially with your knee and all that stuff. And so we thought it would be a good idea. Um, a brilliant idea to (laughs) put our, our chairs and the crew stuff. As soon as you got into that aid station, knowing that you can take some time there get fueled and then, you get to run through that long aid station with everybody cheering, yelling, mm-hmm. knowing that that was going to really help you versus, you know, that is brilliant, brilliant right? Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> versus you running through like, where is Eddie? My gosh, like I'm dying. And then getting to the very end. Yeah. So we figured, you know what, that energy will, you know, get her through that. it will be kind of a fun section for you. So, but it, going back to the, the Twin Lakes being there all day, I, I did get to, to meet some people, which was really cool. And they came up and kind of shared their two strong stories and how they've been following along. And, um, I heard some really, really cool stories, but one in particular, I was actually waiting for you to come through the meadow and it was getting kind of dark. So we couldn't see the yellow hat as well. And, um, I got alerted from Lucas who was up on the hill. He said, Hey, she's coming. I had cell reception and he called me. So I start to walk back towards the, our setup and this guy um, was kind of off the trail and talking to this girl who was a pacer. She had a pacer bib on waiting for her, her runner. And he got right when I'm walking by him, he goes, oh, yeah, her name is Sally McRae. <laughs> and I was literally like two feet from him at that point. And he's explaining, oh, yeah, her name's Sally McRae. Goes, oh, yeah, she's got a podcast and it's awesome. <laughs> and I'm literally walking by and I turn around and go, totally agree. <laughs> totally agree. He looks back and gave me this look like. Like who? Are, like who are you? Like <laughs> who's this guy interrupting my totally, conversation? Totally, totally. He like looked back, like, and I go, "I'm her husband." I have to say that. And he goes, "What? Are you Eddie?" Oh, look, so he, see? oh yeah, Eddie so fans, people. Eddie fan. Yes. But he came over and we started we started chatting, and his name's Chris, and it was actually really cool because he began to share how he heard how he found out, you know, who you were on a podcast. And he said, I was listening to Sally on a podcast and on my way home from work and I had to pull over twice because mm. I was crying so hard. Oh, and oh, that's Nick Bears. Yeah. And he, he Nick was, he was saying how he lost his dad in 2015 to leukemia. Mm. And, you know, he's talking about the other podcast that you were talking about DNF in because he's, you know, had a string of DNFs and, mm. Um, how he's kept kept on and he was telling me all these other races he's already got you know lined up because he you know wants to get out there again and mm-hmm. show what he's got so that was actually a really cool Chris yeah Chris thank you for listening and big hugs to you keep going yeah so that was a yeah. neat little I little love time that. thank you for sharing that mm-hmm. I so. love that you got to meet him and I know yeah. you I mean you over one of my favorite things to do after a race is to ask Eddie share with me all the stories and it's typically like Right after the finish, I'm, you are so sweet at doing this, but this is the worst job ever. Eddie will get me back to the hotel room. I will still be in my stinky, disgusting clothes and I'm wrecked from head to toe and I'll lay on the bed and he will take off my shoes and socks. (laughs) 
<laughs> sometimes I get in the shower, sometimes I don't. But one of my favorite things to do is like, I, I tell me the stories. Like, what was it like for you? Who did you meet? Like, what happened? And it's just like, it's so fun for us to have those stories. Like, that's one of my favorite times after the race. Like, I'm wrecked and he's just like on this high and he's got all these like really great stories. But you did share with me quite a few mm-hmm. that were like that. And I love that. I love that while I'm out there running your experiencing that and making those, you know, those connections because they uplift me, Yeah, you know, it's like, oh, wow, that's, this is so awesome. And as we move through this project, I think about that. I think about what, what you're experiencing and who you're connecting with while I'm running. I just, I, it, that kind of pulls me through the race as well. Cause I want that to continue all the way to the finish line, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's um, cool. So now we are getting into the dark when when the sun sets, we, you're, it's inevitable. Uh, the temperatures are going to drop. Um, at this point, I have descended out of Hope's Pass. Um, so we've gone down a little bit, but now we're going to climb back up, back in. I mean, you're never low. <laughs> the lowest you're at is like 9,200 feet. And so um, I've descended quite a bit, but now I'm going to be climbing back up. Now, at this point in the race is also where people pick up pacers. So if you have a pacer, you pick him up at Twin, uh, Twin Lakes as you're leaving, heading back towards the finish line. And as I said earlier, I had chosen not to have a pacer, which um, at this point, knowing that I wasn't feeling great, I was still, the breathing wasn't awesome. Uh, my, both of my knees hurt pretty bad at this point. I think that the fall kind of exasperated the one that was in the uh, knee brace. And then of course the other one was fully exposed and just um, oozing all kinds of fun things. And it was big and it was sore and it did not want to run, but we just kind of set that off to the side. And so I thought as I climbed out of that aid station, I, I kept telling myself, Sally, the hardest part of this race is over. The best thing that that you can do for yourself is just take care of yourself and get to that finish line. Now, um, still, I wasn't chasing cutoffs at this point. I think that I genuinely, I think all I had to keep at this point was literally three miles an hour. Yeah. A 20-minute pace. So I was still, I had run so well the first half that it allowed me to kind of find comfort in the fact that, yeah, your knees are beat up, you're not breathing well, but I didn't have that stress of, oh my gosh, I'm only, you know, 10 minutes outside of a cutoff or I have to like move really quick here. Um, and I was very grateful for that. So at this point in my race, I'm just counting the things that I'm grateful for. I'm counting the things that are good, uh, that are positive. And I'll tell you what, that's a really powerful, uh, mental cue that you can use, not just in a race, but just anything in life. When, when a lot of things suck and it starts to build up that list of, okay, this sucks when it rains, it pours. Okay. One more thing. You also have to continue to add to the list of the things that are good, add to the list of the things that are going right. And for me at this point, I'm like, okay, I'm keeping food down. I'm not vomiting. Awesome. Like I'm way ahead of cutoff times. Great. Uh, despite the fact that my knees are hurting, I'm still moving. Like I'm going to finish this thing. Like, and so that was helping me move. I'd say now, once I got to about mile 60, 62 out of the middle of nowhere, I just start vomiting. And right before that, I'd say about 20 minutes before that, 
I noticed that I was suddenly very cold. In fact, I was wearing gloves. I was wearing three layers and a jacket. I had put my beanie on and I was shivering. And I told myself, okay, maybe I don't have enough calories. So that can happen. If you don't have enough calories in you, regulating temperature is that much harder. I knew I would be coming up um, on an aid station, but instead... I ran up with these guys and at this point too, everyone has pacers and I knew I'd be around a lot of people because this race is so big. That was the other reason why I don't want a pacer. I'm like, dude, I can actually run with people if I want to because there's so many runners in this race. I know I'm not going to be like top pack and a, a lot of people are going to have pacers. So there's going to be a lot of people on the trail and I was right. Um, I was constantly passing groups of people, running with groups of people, running with other people's pacers and joining conversations. That was really awesome to help keep me move. But as I was doing that, I was like, man, I'm not feeling well. And the, the sweetest thing was every time I ran up to a group of people, people offered me stuff. Hey, Sally, do you, do you have all your food? Like, do you need anything to drink? And at this particular point, the group that I had ran upon, I said, you know what? Actually, I could use some calories. Do you have like a, like something sugary? I knew I needed something that was going to hit my system fast. So this guy hands me um, some sugar blocks, some of these like gooey sugar blocks, sports blocks. And I take one down. It takes me a long time to eat this one block. And when I realized it was taking me so long just to eat it, probably like five minutes to eat this little like one inch block, I thought this isn't a good sign. My system is kind of shutting down. I'm freezing and I'm trying to digest something and I'm slowing down in my pace. I just started to pay attention to all the signs. Within 10 minutes, I start projectile vomiting and that doesn't stop. I then start, I think I vomited at least 10 times. I had nothing left in me. I mean, I was like vomiting up the lining of my stomach. And because of that, now that I'm completely depleted, we enter this aid station and I start sipping like a little bit of Coke. And I'm like, oh, if I can just get some Coke in me. Um, I fill up my bottles with just water because I now know if I can't get anything down, I at least need to keep up with water. And I get out of that aid station. I have about six miles till I see Eddie. And I'm moving really slow. I think it took me well over like an hour and a half just to cover those six miles from that aid station. And I haven't had like legit calories in my body now for a while. And I leave the aid station. I had had Coke and I start throwing up again. So I thankfully we start to descend to we're going back to outward bound. And as I make my way to the lower part, we have three miles now of like flat crushed dirt and then road. I'm so depleted. I'm so cold. I start falling asleep while I'm running. And this is the only time this has ever happened to me is at Badwater. Um, the two years that I especially struggled in 2018 and 2021. It's just, it really has to do with just sugar levels are dropping. I have no energy in me and I'm demanding my body to move forward. But on top of it, I'm not breathing well. So like oxygen levels aren't great. The, I don't have any calories in me and it's the middle of the night and it's freezing. It's a recipe for a disaster. And as I hit the road, I start kind of swaying on the road. I actually don't remember running this very much. I just remember locking in on the lights ahead. I can see the aid station in the distance. And I keep telling myself, Sally, just get to the lights. Just get to the lights. I keep falling asleep. I fall into this huge pothole. 
that's in the road almost twists my ankle. I actually did twist my ankle twice, but thankfully my ankles are very bouncy and flexible. So I was fine. I kept running and I just kept telling myself, just get to the light, get to the light. When I'm about 200 meters out from the aid station, I tell myself I have to have a plan when I get in there. If I don't take time to reset, then finishing this race is going to be very difficult. I don't like spending time in aid stations. So, you know, this is where I have to embrace the reality of my state, humble myself and take care of my body. So, um, Eddie, this is when you guys see me and I, I'm thinking as soon as I came in, I told you, I don't know if you guys could tell, but yeah, you came in and you, yeah, you had this kind of that glazed look and you were headed, you kind of went right past and says, I need to lay down. And so you went to the medic tent and he asked you, okay. And he kind of shared how how you're feeling. And then you went straight into the cot. So at this point I was freezing. Oh yeah. I'd said once we got in there, I was like, go get my clothes. We have this little cube of clothes, which again is so good when you are doing hundred mile races, particularly in the mountains, have a full change of clothes. And you know, for me, one of the biggest um, problems I run into is a really sweaty sports bra because it sits so tightly on my chest. So I knew I had to get out of that. I had to put on new layers. Um, I had to get my body warm. And I think what we agreed upon was 10 minutes. Yeah, 10 minutes. We got you. Um, yeah, we got you some broth. Mm-hmm. And yeah, 10 minutes and you said you wanted to so sleep. So we devised a plan right away, which is so, this is, which is so nice about having Eddie there, because he's had to deal with this the last two races. Yeah. Like he has understood that the resets in the last two races have actually enlivened me. They rejuvenated me. I've been able to run really well. And so we just agreed right away on a plan with great hope that that was going to work, which it did end up working. And so here's what we did. Typically a reset, you need to put a time frame on it because it's so... Because you feel so terrible, it's very easy to get comfortable in a chair, to get comfortable in a cot when you're wrapped up in blankets. I know typically a reset doesn't mean I'm going to feel better when I leave. It's just that my body's going to have more energy. And that means that comes from the food that might come from closing my eyes, from changing my clothes. But overall, it's not like suddenly I feel like I'm at the start line again with that kind of energy. I knew that I actually needed to take care of my physical body and the things that probably would have brought me into a really low place had I just continued on. Because I did struggle with that. I was like, I either do a reset or I just push through. And I think I had come into that aid station. It was only what? A marathon left? Yeah, that was mile, yeah, 70-ish. Yeah, it was like 75. So in my mind, I was like, dude... We are finishing this thing. We have a quarter left of this race. Like, we're going to do it. We got 42 kilometers. We got a marathon left. Like, this is going to happen. So there's the gritty, prideful side of me that's like, no, just push through. Like, we're going to suffer. Like, you're going to warm up on the climb out of here. And then there's the other side that's like, anything can happen. Like, I could leave this aid station and two miles down the road completely fall apart. I have been there before. I have learned my lesson. My pride has gotten the best of me many times, not only in my running career, but just in life. And so this was just kind of a moment of humbling. I don't like laying down in a cot. I actually don't like people seeing me in that state. I don't like feeling weak. I do not like appearing 
to have been out of control as far as like everything that was going on in my body. So I was not in a good spot, but I laid down. I think I fell asleep immediately Mm -hmm. for 10 minutes. We got soup. Um, Eddie held up a a towel and I took off all my clothes. Um, Well, just the top, like I took off my sports bra and my shirts, put on all dry clothes. And then I sat up and I looked at you and I was like, I need 10 more minutes. Yeah. I was still cold. Yeah. You were not as cold, but you were, yeah, you were still Mm -hmm. cold, but yeah. And, and I think at that point too, you gave me some, um, like cold brew. So I knew I was like, okay, if I can get the caffeine in me, I'll drink a bunch of caffeine. I'll have some more soup and then I'll lay down. And my goal in that was to let it digest. Yeah. We give you some mashed potatoes too. And mashed potatoes. It was nice potatoes. and warm. And yeah, yeah, you had, you had bites of most of that and mm-hmm. the cold brew. And then, yeah, you fell asleep right away for 10 more minutes. Yeah. And then once it was 10 minutes, Eddie was there. It's like, you have, you have yeah, to go. Yeah, woke you up in 10. You have to go. And so we did. We, we got out of the aid station. Um, I started my way back down the long, dark road. It was probably like two or three miles. But wow, I moved so well. I, I passed, I want to say, 15 people on the road within the first mile. It's crazy. Those resets, the last three have been like magical for you. Magical. Yeah. And I'll say it again. A reset doesn't mean that suddenly you feel amazing. You've just brought energy and rejuvenation back into your body. Um, My stomach was still hurting. I still wasn't breathing well. Like my head was spinning like a little bit, but I was feeling way more energized. I felt like my legs felt good. Um, I felt way more awake. That coffee had started to hit. And now we were climbing back up power line. And power line, I'd say this section of the course, Drew and Tyler found me there. And even they said, they're like, dude, you look so different. You were energized. You were getting up that climb. And and yeah, I passed a lot of people on that climb. That was probably one of the cruelest sections because there was legit four false summits. Four times I thought I was at the top of this climb. It was just straight up for, I want to say, five, six miles. It was brutal. This is mean. It was brutal. And then when you get to the top, there's a secret aid station. This aid station that is not on the race guide. It's huge. There's all of these uh, glow sticks. They make a big path with glow sticks like 50 feet out from the aid station. Music is blaring. I think they serve like whiskey or something at the top of this thing. (laughs) It's crazy. But you get to the top of that and then you start descending. And I'll tell you what, I was absolutely thrilled when I finally got to the top of that, because that was it for, for like the most brutal climbing was now done. Um, and then we start descending. So then we descend, we get back into the forest. Um, I think I may have thrown up a little bit more at that point too, once I started descending. So I wasn't still totally energized, but I, I was able to keep on like eating and sipping and that's all I could do. I just told myself, just keep sipping the coconut water. I think that's all I was able to get in. It was just coconut water and water. And regular water, yeah. And regular water. I pretty much went on that for the rest of the race. And when I got to May Queen, this would be the last time I'd see Eddie with only less than, I think it was like 11 miles to go now. Yep. And all I had to do was get around the lake. It was still dark. And the sun was just about to start rising again. And then you have like this three, four mile 
very gradual climb back up to the finish line in the city. And what was so sweet about this is I hit mile like 95 and I'm chatting with these guys. I actually moved pretty well around the lake. I did a, a very, I was very specific. Okay, I'm going to run for two minutes. We're going to power hike for a minute. I, I kept up with that cadence all the way around the lake. I passed a lot more people. And then I settled in with these two guys and we passed a bathroom. And as we passed this bathroom, I hear someone else say, hey, it's Sally McRae. And then Harvey, <laughs> Harvey Lewis sticks his head out of the bathroom. He's like, Sally. And I was like, I thought Harvey had already finished the race because he was way out in front. When I was descending Hope's, uh, climbing up Hope's Pass, he was already going back up for the second time. Like he was, he was a few hours ahead of me at this point on Hope's Pass. And so we start chatting and I'm like hiking along and I say something. So what place did you come in? Like, how was it? And he's like, well, I don't want to hold you up. And I was like, what are you talking about? And he points to his stomach and he's wearing his bib. He's like, I'm still running this race. Like a what? So I said, you know what? Let's just finish together. We have so much time to finish. We have, you know, five, five miles, you know, eight kilometers left. Let's just do it together. So um, he was in a lot of discomfort and uh, his quads were gone. So we, we kind of moved at a very gentle pace all the way to that finish line. And when we got into town, you guys, I cannot tell you the feeling that I was feeling. I think I just, it was just an overwhelming sense of emotion because by the time we got into town, it's a 30 hour cutoff. And I was like 28 and a half hours at this point, once we yeah. hit the town part. Cause I think my finishing time was like 28, 52 or 53 or something like that. So I only finished with like an hour, seven minutes before the cutoff. So, and that, I mean, that's, uh, that was very real to me, realizing everything that we had done all day to make sure that, you know, you guys were moving me in and out of those aid stations as quick as possible. Eddie putting time limits on how long that I would stay, um, especially when I was really hurting. But I'll tell you what, I mean, it's so easy to add time. Um, to your overall time if you don't pay attention. And that first half, we were so far ahead of cut hours and hours ahead of cutoff. And then to only end with 67 minutes uh, left in the race um, is when I ended up finishing. But that finish was so precious. And it was so good to have you and Lucas um, cross the finish line with me and the whole BPN team and the race directors. Um, yeah, came was out. A cool they, give you a, they give you a rose and you get a medal and you get a buckle. And I cried. I, I just, I was so overwhelmed with emotion. And, and I, and I had even said, I go, we, we worked so hard for that buckle. We did. We worked very hard. I knew that signing up for Leadville, um, I knew that it would be a struggle from the first mile. And I'd say over the years too, you know, people have always asked me, you know, why haven't you done Leadville or are you ever going to do it? I'm like, you know, I, I, it, on one hand, it was always really close to UTMB. It's just a week apart. And I did UTMB five years in a row. I love UTMB. Um, UTMB has my heart. It's one of my favorite races in the world. And so that was one of the reasons, but 
I also was like, why I'm not going to sign up for a race that I know I'm just going to struggle the entire time. Like I can do altitude, but racing hard at altitude for a hundred miles straight. I know that that is a great weakness of mine and I, I wish I could breathe better, but I can't. And so, um, I'm going to sign up for races where I can perform well. I'm going to sign up for races where I feel strong. Like I want to do well as my career. So putting this race in the choose strong project was very humbling. And I did that for a reason because I feel like so often, and I kind of just want to transition now into the Choose Strong project. So often I even know in my own life, I shy away from things where I know my weaknesses are going to be exposed, where other people are going to see me struggle. And I don't like that feeling. I don't think that any human does. I mean, no one wants to appear to have struggles or weaknesses, but I've also learned as the years have gone by that many times putting yourself in those situations of struggle is where you actually see what you're capable of doing, where you actually see how strong you are. But I think the most beautiful part is you also see you're not alone. You guys, there were so many people that struggled in Leadville during that race. I mean, and I ran with some people that were so strong people that were way far ahead of me running really fast and and then you see them in aid stations wrapped up in blankets or puking you know on the side of the trail or barely moving barely walking or not even making it to the finish line at all you understand that the weaknesses and the struggle it is very much a part of the journey and you learn so much about yourself in that I think for me, I relied a lot on Eddie in this race. I mean, from, from day one, as soon as we arrived, it, it was, it was difficult for me and I was feeling a lot of physical, um, struggle, you know, right away. So having him there just on the emotional side for me was very comforting. Seeing him in those aid stations was very comforting. I think the BPN team did an amazing job of, they put that reel out of my finish and one of my favorite shots is of you coming across the finish line and hugging me. And mm. I love that embrace because I felt like that was such a powerful team effort for us. And I felt like I could do it because of you. And that's something that I want people to see in this project that, you know, we're all on a different part of our journey and you never know where someone is in their journey when you meet them. And I think sometimes that is where we need to be gracious to others because later on down the road, you're going to need that grace too. You need to be gracious to yourself because the more gracious you are to yourself, the easier it is to be gracious to others. And it is okay to put yourself into these situations of struggle because it actually increases your capacity for compassion. You start to understand and empathize and feel for people that are in that season of struggle or a constant state of struggle. We need each other to get to the finish line. And I'll tell you what, for as much as I talk about running, this really is about life. There's only one finish line in our life. And our journey will be filled with seasons where we need extra support. You're gonna be filled with seasons where gosh, the, the, that sun goes down, it gets dark and you're freezing and you, you are so far away from that finish line. It's easy to feel hopeless. It's easy to feel weak. It's easy to lose your way. And 
I think that when you put yourself in those areas of struggle and understand how important it is to have people that support you and love you, but also that you can be that person for somebody else, it just makes your journey that much more powerful and that much more meaningful. I'm going to go ahead and end with a little post that I wrote um, on Instagram. I encourage you guys, you can go back and um, read it. It is really my final thoughts about this race. I'd say that, you know, this, uh, the, the challenges that we're finding on this Choose Strong project have been both wonderful, they've been hard, but they have really blown Eddie and I away. So mm-hmm. um, actually, before I share that, because I kind of want to close with it, Eddie, you were going to share a little bit about what we're doing next. Yeah, so... And why don't we just chime in on that, yeah. In about 11 days, we are off to Switzerland for race number four. Four. Yeah, so race we're... Race number four in 11 days. And the cool thing about the Switzerland race, it's only 67 miles. It's <laughs> 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 so none of this 100-mile stuff. But um, 67 miles, let's like let's talk about that terrain. All right, climbing. but yeah, it's probably what I've seen online. It's it's an aggressive kind of it's the Swiss Alps, right? So it's uh, it's steep, it's it's pretty rugged. But you know the cool thing is there's only 18,000 feet of climbing in 67 miles. So that's cake. 18,000 feet of climbing, 18,000 feet of ascending. Yeah, that's... in 67 miles in the Swiss Alps. So basically, it's a hundred. Yeah, that's gnarly. <laughs> Because so Leadville next. was just about um, 16, 15, yeah, it was yeah. Like 15 and a half. So it's going to be more climbing in a shorter amount of time. Yep. So that's coming up. So we got to get you recovered and ready yeah. to rock. Yeah. And you can keep up with Should us cool. on that. Um, follow the Choose Strong Project, um, social media outlets, and um, see where we'll be going with that. And as always, I will post a little story about that race and why it's number four in the project as we move through this story. But before I let you go, and thank you for hanging with us for so long. I think, Eddie, this might be the longest podcast that we have recorded to date. Yes, it it is. (laughs) I'm going to read this to you, and my hope is that it encourages you for your day. You know, when when people read this online, uh, a lot of people said, wow, this is not just for running, this is for life. And I say, 100%. This is for wherever you are in your life. And before I read it, I just want you to take a second and think about where you are in your journey because the reality is, is that you move through your day pretty quickly. How easy is it for a week just to go by? How many times have you said in this past year, oh my gosh, I can't believe it's already Thursday. I can't believe that, you know, we're already in this month. Like where did the last couple months go? And that is life. If we don't pay attention, if we don't slow down, if we don't take that time to kind of reflect on what we're doing and where we're going, yeah, life goes by quickly. And I'll tell you what, you're the only person that can live your life. You're the only person that can work toward your goals. You're the only person that can get those dreams. You are in charge of the life that is before you. And there's a lot of good for you. So even if you are in a a season of struggle, if you're in a season of, you know, you're kind of lost and trying to figure out 
what you should be doing with your life or whether or not you should be where you are. It could, this could be in a career, in a relationship. I just want to encourage you to take some time and maybe that could be like writing down your goals or just sitting uh, on your back porch with a cup of tea and just thinking about what have I done in this last year? Where am I going? What is it that I really want? How am I impacting people around me? How am I pouring into others? Um, How am I helping? How am I loving? And that really is the tagline of this podcast. It's strong mind, strong body, strong love. When we pour into others, when we give to others, I mean, that alone gives our life so much meaning. And so if you're feeling like, man, I don't really feel like I'm contributing. I'm not really sure what's going on in my life right now. Pause and see how you're serving the people around you. Because we have a lot of, I think we have more than enough negativity floating around right now in our world. We have more than enough people online that are condescending towards others and are raising negative, bitter, and even very trivial conversations. We need more help. We need more love. We need more kindness and compassion because that is what changes people. That is what brings people together. And if you woke up this morning, there is a purpose for your life. I don't care if you have social media at all or you have one follower or you feel like you have to be known. You don't. You matter because you're here. And so I just want to end with this as just straight encouragement for you. I want to tell you that I am thankful that you are here. I'm thankful that you have um, ears to hear this podcast. And I want to encourage you to apply this to your life. What you want and what you need will rarely agree. Sometimes what you need is to walk into a place where you know you're going to struggle and just stay there. The struggle taps at all your senses. It beckons you to find a solution. It challenges you to try. When it's all over and you're wrecked from head to toe, you'll finally understand something you could have never understood had you stayed in your predictable comfort bubble. You'll understand you can endure discomfort. You'll understand you're not alone in your exposed weaknesses. You'll understand you're damn stronger than you thought you were. Maybe you'll even be mad about that one because the truth is you were always strong, even in your struggle. You were made for this. You were made to rise and fall again and again. The gold is in your resilience to keep trying not in a piece of metal that fades. You are, and always will be, wonderfully and uniquely strong for the very journey you're on. Trust me on this one. Your friend always, Sally. And we want to encourage you guys as you move forward in your week, choose strong in all you do. Thanks for joining us today. Until next time. 